You're listening to a Bespoken Media production. This is my family, mental illness and me. I'm Dr. Pamela Jenkins. I, like so many people, grew up with a parent with a mental illness. My mum, Irene, had schizoaffective disorder. This had a profound effect on my childhood and continues to impact my life, even today. This podcast is made by the charity Our Time. In each episode, a different guest will share their own experience of growing up with a family member or family members living with mental illness. I really hope that you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. We do explore some difficult and potentially triggering memories throughout the series. So there's advice and links to support in the show notes. Please, please do speak to someone if you're affected by anything raised in the episodes. This week, I'm talking with Dr. Myros Craig, a record-breaking birder, or bird watcher for those who don't know, whose experience of living with her mother's bipolar disorder was an influence on her exceptional book, Bird Girl. Hi, my name is Myros Craig. I'm an environmental activist and campaigner, as well as an author. And last year, I came out with my book, Bird Girl, that is all about my love of nature, but also growing up with a mum who has bipolar disorder. So I think even sort of before acknowledging my mum's bipolar, my family was always probably slightly non-traditional in that I come from a family that is obsessed with birds and nature. Um, (laughs) And I was literally nine days old the first time my parents took me bird watching. It has always been something that we had done, especially together. We spent a lot of time when I was a kid just kind of racing around on this endless treasure hunt trying to see as many birds as possible and as I got a bit older we also started going on these ginormous bird watching trips abroad basically I think the longest of which was when I was about nine my parents actually took me out of school for about six months and we went traveling around South America looking for birds and it was amazing the weird thing about that is looking back that was definitely something that my parents and I kind of used to cope and deal with in terms of my mum's bipolar disorder in various different ways so for example that very long trip I just talked about was actually the year after my mum was sectioned for a couple of months the summer previously and it was the way that we as people who knew we loved nature decided that we were going to reconnect with one another and spend time with one another and I think over and over again my family's kind of turned to bird watching as the thing that's kind of helped us through some really difficult times, which I know probably wouldn't do it for everyone. But for us, it was always kind of perfect in terms of keeping us going. I can completely understand why why you would turn to that, actually. I think it's incredible. <laughs> and did they talk, so just jumping straight, I guess, to the trip that you were talking about, did they talk to you about your mum being sectioned and why you were going on the trip? Was it was it an open conversation around her mental illness with you? In some ways, yeah. I think sort of to add context, like I think the nature of bipolar disorder is well, I, I guess the nature of it is the there's you've had these mood swings and you're sort of going in one direction or the other. And I think actually to explain the lead up to my mum getting sectioned, I'd go back to when I was about six, so about three years previously, where we did something called a big year, which is basically when as bird watchers, you try and see as many birds as possible in a year, which I I think when you say it like that sounds very chill and casual and it was not um, because <laughs> very quickly it was very obsessive. It was something we were doing every weekend, um, spending massive amounts of time, sometimes before school, very often after school, um, going all over the UK. And my dad and I, because we love birds, were really into it. But my mum in particular got very obsessive about it and put a lot of energy into it in what you can sort of retrospectively realise was probably, if not a manic, then probably a hypermanic episode. Um, Yeah. And the problem with that is by the... November of that year she had lost that energy and she didn't want to go outside and she didn't want to leave bed in fact and she went into quite a bad depressive episode for quite a few months um and basically that sort of culminated over the period of about a year until um she did try and commit suicide basically and 
even though the details of that probably weren't communicated to me at the time, I, you know, kids aren't stupid. And I could see that my mum was a different person. I could see that she wasn't very interested in my life because she wasn't very interested in anything. She wasn't getting out of bed. She wasn't going to work anymore. Um, it was the little things as well. Like she used to kind of do my hair before I went to school. And now I was sort of having to stick it in a ponytail because that was the only thing I could do. You know, it was the little things like that yeah. that you register as a kid. And I remember um, the night that she tried to take her own life. She'd plotted it all very carefully as well, which I think people don't realise when people are very depressed, they're still capable of doing that because to her, it was a very logical step. Um, so she'd planned to do it after my sister had taken her A-levels so she didn't disrupt her exams. Um, wow. She'd made sure that... Um, she tried to send us all off on a bird watching trip without her because she said that she was ill and she couldn't go and my dad had twigged onto it. And then mm -hmm. she waited until my sister was at a party and I was at a sleepover at my friend's house. And my dad knew exactly what was going on. And so even though nothing was communicated to me, by the time I came home the next morning, um, my mum was in hospital and mm -hmm. um, I didn't have the opportunity to visit her for about a month because she was very, very unwell. In the end, she decided to stay um, for double the length of the 40 day period that she had to do that she was sectioned for. Um, and again, it's the little things that you remember as a kid. I remember going to visit her in the waiting room and the nurse sort of locking us into this room with her, um, essentially, <laughs> so she couldn't try and run away. And, you know, so I think my parents always tried to have very open and honest conversations with me about these things without giving me more information that I could handle. Because as well, the difficult thing with bipolar is it takes a really, really long time to diagnose. I think the average mm -hmm. time is 9.5 years. And during the period my mum was sectioned, they still didn't actually know what was wrong. Oh gosh, and so they did, she didn't have a diagnosis? No. Um, and they kept telling her she was depressed and she obviously wasn't. And anyway, it was it was really complicated. And it, it mm -hmm. wasn't until a couple of years later. And basically, this is a very long way of saying um, a few months after that after that section period they had already booked this holiday away to Ecuador to go bird watching and they had a lot of conversations where it was like is this a sensible thing to do is it sensible to go away for three weeks into the Amazon jungle um and I think if they had asked any doctor they probably would have said absolutely don't do that um but they did and it was um magical actually it felt like the first time in two years that I had my mum back and it wasn't immediate it took maybe a week or two of this holiday for her to sort of come alive again but she did and I think it was sort of seeing her bounce back in that way on that um, much shorter holiday is why my parents made that very big decision to sort of go away for this massive trip and they felt that actually just being just the three of us together in the wilderness was probably the best yeah. thing for all of us at that time. With the birds. With the birds. I mean, firstly, it was just something that she loved, that we loved doing. Um, and I think the I'm looking back, I'm so lucky that we had a hobby that we all shared in that way, because that is kind of what did bring us back together after a few really difficult periods but also I think it's actually the nature of bird watching itself that was really good for her and again for us but in terms of um you know bird watching is kind of a very slow meditative hobby a lot of the time and you are obviously outside which in and of itself is so good for you like obviously it doesn't cure anything but it is scientifically proven to be good to your brain for the to the extent that the NHS has literally started just prescribing people to go outside but you also can't get wrapped up in your thoughts because you have to stay focused and present in order to actually spot the wildlife to spot the birds and so I think it's also the perfect combination of sort of getting out of your head into the present into nature that I I, I genuinely think is really really good for you as well yeah taking you away from yourself it's interesting because a lot of people, when you think about mental health and trying to, and mental illness and trying to balance and do something, a lot of people will talk about physical activity or, you know, these are the things that spring to mind. But actually engaging with nature and in such, like you say, in such a detailed way that, that really needs your attention, it would never have even occurred to me. But I think it's absolutely, no. maybe people should be prescribed bird watching <laughs> instead of just being yeah. out for a walk. I think that's amazing. And for you then as a child and growing up 
um, you know, living with your mum in this situation, did that have any impact on on your mental well-being or your well-being more generally, would you say? Yeah, of course. Like, as it would, um, yeah. in various ways. I mean, I think in some ways, like, it was more difficult when I was younger because it was so confusing. I didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. I have a really distinct memory, actually, of the day uh, my parents came home from the psychiatrist and she had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and they were just so happy, which sounds like a strange thing to say, to be happy that you've been diagnosed with something. But I think having a label is so, so important in terms of just figuring out how to solve things. And mm-hmm. I maybe didn't 100% understand what that meant, but I understand. I understood that it was a good thing. But I think probably the actual most difficult period was when I was a bit older, so maybe like 10 through 12 or 13 in what I would probably refer to now as almost like a grieving period because I think my whole life, and actually all of us, are sort of told, you know, the process of illness is you figure out what's wrong with you and then you figure out a solution and then it goes away um which obviously with mental illness that's not how it works and so I think obviously I I was like 10 when she was diagnosed and so my reaction was great we're gonna solve this um and I think sort of having to come to terms with the fact that this was how it was this was how she was and this was how our family would be and we just had to figure out ways to work with this. I think it was really difficult, especially as a younger kid. Um, and I think that combined with, um, you know, I, I was my mum's secondary carer as I got a bit older as well. Um, and I think anyone who's had like a parent or a family member as a carer knows that it's, it's really, really hard on them. And I would I could see how hard it was on my dad. And so I think, like, my parents never asked me to do this, but my older sister had moved out before any of this really happened. And so it's just the three of us. And I think sort of in a solid family unit, especially when you've gone through things like that together, you your instinct is always to try and take the burden off one another. And so I think as I got a bit older, I would try and sort of help with things, manage things, try and make yeah. things better for both of my parents. Um and I th- I think it's just, I don't know, there just are periods of difficulty and it's almost hard to articulate. And I, I actually, I remember when I was about 16 or 17 having to explain to, I can't remember, possibly someone at school, what me being a carer actually entailed. And yeah. I couldn't really think of anything. Like all I could think of is like, oh, I have to tell her to take her medication in the morning yeah. at night. And that's not well it is it's almost like the emotional burden of trying to manage someone else all the time and worrying about them all the time and worrying about them yeah I think there's often when we think about care experienced young people or you know child carers we think it's directly related to physical care often or being Mm. solely caring for a parent but actually the minute A lot of evidence shows the minute that you start, you have a child who is preoccupied or worrying about a parent in any capacity, you're you're a carer from from that point of view. And then Mm. you're also thinking about your dad and you're, you you know, that is a lot of responsibility and burden for a young child. And but hard to articulate when it is not as tangible necessarily. It's not as clear cut because mental illness isn't and it's often in the background Mm. and presents completely differently to physical illness sometimes so it's Mm. it's a lot more difficult to define what that care responsibility looks like Mm. but it is there and then so often partly why we're doing this podcast is as a result children of parents with mental illness fall through the cracks in service provision and and it's it needs to be addressed doesn't it it's because there are many many children in that situation And I think also, I feel like a lot less now than 10 years ago, but like during this period where I was going through all this, I also felt like there was this massive taboo about talking about 
mental illness and it sort of felt like something that should be kept um within the family um and so I I was thinking about this the other day I don't think I ever told any of my friends some of whom I'd known like my whole life about any of this because I didn't even know how to articulate well a I didn't want them thinking less of my mum which they probably wouldn't have but I didn't want people to feel like that and I also didn't even know how to articulate what was going on in my house I suppose um because obviously the word bipolar meant nothing to to anyone my age at the time and so it was also like no one really knew um and so it was yeah I just didn't have the language to explain what was going on and I think the weird thing is looking back I feel incredibly lucky in terms of the way that the whole situation was managed in terms of my family just because my dad was so fantastic at sort of keeping me sort of very safe or not not knowing about a lot of the things that were going on at the time um (laughs) but that did definitely contrast with like um because me and my mum were actually very very close growing up as well um I think that is important to say um and we'd just sort of have these casual conversations. Then, like, sometimes, because it was funny to her, she'd sort of drop something in conversation. It's like, oh, did you know last year I tried to run away some, run away, and the police had to be called and there was a helicopter looking for me? And I'm like, that's not funny. Um, but yeah, there was but a lot of that going on you have to laugh, don't you? You have to sort yeah, of exactly. engage. And, yeah, because that's what she wants. I think um, you said something a second ago about being taboo. And it's interesting to me because you're a good bit younger than I am. You know, and I I had this idea that somehow maybe it would be better by now this because I was I I grew up very, I guess, I I always say this, I'm ashamed to say it now, but I was embarrassed and of my mum. And even though I loved her very much, her behaviour because of her mental illness, I would feel shame and embarrassment because there was a lot of stigma. And it seems that there still is that stigma and we do talk a lot more about mental health. I feel like that conversation has progressed, but when it comes to mm-hmm. to more severe mental illness, um, we're not talking about it. And, and you're saying as a child, you didn't really have the language to really know how to talk about it, which is also a wee bit of a problem because the parental instinct is to, to protect you. Like you said, your dad would want to sort of shield you from it and your mom, I'm sure. But actually then you don't have the tools to be able to, have the conversation for yourself but also move it forward Mm, yeah and I I think looking back like I was also the kind of kid that was very anxious and very self-conscious in a lot of different ways and I think sort of having people know this about my life on top of it was just something I didn't want and sort of I the school I went to I remember my first in year seven actually it literally you know they had all the big um like don't say gay posters up and things like that but they also had like um I can't remember the exact phrasing but it was basically posters to do with like oh I think it was like oh in quote marks like oh my mum is so bipolar and then underneath it was like don't use mental illness as an adjective and they had these massive um bipolar posters all over the school and I was like oh my god like I can't like anyway it just seemed to make it all worse and I think the weird I think it's also part of being that age because now like I do think people my age sort of that bit older are actually very accepting in comparison of mental health and mental illness but I think maybe that's in theory because a lot of people don't know what that actually looks like in practice and I I do agree actually that I think sort of some of the more severe mental illnesses in particular Mm -hmm. people um probably find elements of it off-putting without realizing what they're finding off-putting if that makes sense as well yeah it's hugely stigmatized still and it's funny when you were saying earlier about when your mum was diagnosed and she had that label it was really really helpful because you then have something that you can then deal with and you know what it is and the person knows then it's not them it's they've got a mental illness but sometimes I think Certainly, you know, in my experience with my mum, that label can sometimes become everything. And she was much more than her mental illness. And I think part of the stigma is the minute you have that label, people do label you then. So 
whilst for the person and the family, the label is helpful, often more widely, I think it can be stigmatizing when it shouldn't be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in terms of my mum, I'm not sure how many people my family actually even said it to at the time. I, it wasn't actually even until um, I, because like I mentioned my book, Bird Girl, there's a lot of stuff in there yeah. about um, my mum and dealing with bipolar in the family and sort of all of this kind of thing. And it talks very explicitly about her bipolar and about her experiences. And sort of it was just as, you know, I was starting to outline it and write it that she sort of went like, oh, a lot of people in our lives are going to find out that I have bipolar who didn't know. Um, and That's a lot amazing. of people that we are quite close with in the scheme of things have come to us after publication and just went, I never knew, I never would have suspected. Because um, I think also like... For my mum, at least, I know that no one in my life would, would it never would have even occurred to them she, that she was dealing with severe mental yeah. illness because a lot of the things that we were dealing with were kind of either behavioural in a way that only we would notice uh -huh. or happening at home. Um, yeah. Which I think is kind of the other difficult element of mental illness is it's not sort of outward presenting and then sometimes unless you know someone quite intimately mm -hmm. it's not things that you would necessarily even pick up on yeah absolutely and do you think your do you think your parents um felt any shame around it or tried to hide it i genuinely don't know in the i i I'd say the attitude was probably like, it's not really anyone's business but our own, so there's no need to tell people. But then, of course, you can say that that attitude is probably embedded in a wider sort of, this is something that maybe people shouldn't know about. Like, I don't think there's ever been explicit sh shame around it, um, but at the same time, like I said, no one ever really knew, and so you can kind of do with that what you will I suppose um but I I I do think for my dad at least like he's very much a doer and as soon as or no actually no even before the diagnosis it was always it was never really about necessarily reflecting in that way it's like what can we do to make this better what are not necessarily solutions to make it go away but how are we going to manage this how are we going to deal with it um, and so I guess for him as well, and probably by extension my mum, there was never really a need for other people to know because this was just something that they were using to manage what we were dealing with. And I, I know that they very much view mental illness as just sort of an assortment of um, characteristics that sort of come together under different names. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It's just interesting, I think, because it's lovely to hear the way you talk about, you know, we dealt with it this way. You've clearly been a unit. I just wonder about other people not knowing and the difference other people knowing may have made to you and that feeling of being more of a carer. So having wider support, if people had known, fa friends, family, you know, whilst you dealt with that as a unit and clearly in a very loving way, would it have, would it potentially have been better for you if other people had known? I think maybe if I had figured out a way to articulate what that meant, what that means. But I, there, there were other things going on as well. Like, for example, um, for context, my mum's family is Bangladeshi and, um, you know, one of the things I talk about in Bird Girl a bit is how there is a very different attitude towards mental health and mental illness within these communities. And so when my mum first started going, or actually she'd been actually cycling throughout her life, she'd gone through her first episodes when she was a teenager and, you know, had been very, very unwell at university and all these sorts of things and no one had ever really... Uh, well not many people knew about it but no one had ever really acknowledged it either and when she became very unwell again um, about 10 years ago um, the first instinct was you must be possessed by a djinn you must be possessed by an evil spirit and uh, my nanu my um, grandma sent um, like 
prayer scrolls to, to these for her to sleep with under her pillow to try and banish this because for for them that was clearly what was causing this behavior because you know the concept of your brain being wired differently or causing these issues like they they just didn't understand and I think the idea of this being something embedded into her rather than something external come into her was very very difficult and so I think from that side of the family as well a lot of people or actually that's implying a lot of people knew they did not but people who did know um such as my grandma it there wasn't an understanding of mental health and mental illness in that way but I think the really nice side of that is that that was close to 15 years ago now and things have changed massively the last time I went and saw my grandma she went how's your mum is she taking her medication oh um, really you know, <laughs> like yeah like attitudes change <laughs> and um you know over time people people can change and I, I think it's really nice because again when this all sort of started kicking off I think we never would have imagined that she would understand or especially, you know, the, the older generations would understand what was going on. Um, I think the other side of things is, um, I forgot, but one of the few people who did kind of know was actually there was some, someone in, in our secondary school who was, it was like his job to look after people in my year. And they they basically had to know for various reasons. And the response was to send me into counselling Um and lots and lots of people over the years tried to send me into counselling. And as a kid, I hated it. Oh, no, um, did you? <laughs> which is probably to do with, like, my first experience do doing counselling was right after my mum got diagnosed, like, the NHS did free family counselling. And I was just like, why are we here? Why are we doing this? We don't need to talk. Like, I talk to them all the time. I don't want to talk about my feelings. Um, and it literally got to the point, I think they had to stop taking me because I would refuse to say a word in these sessions. And looking back, it's like obviously a kid who's really angry and really upset, but I like just wasn't in a place where I wanted to express those feelings. And I think it was a lot like that over and over again as well, where it was also like, maybe it would have helped if I told people, but also I personally wasn't in a space where I wanted people to talk to me about it either um and I kind of hadn't managed to sort through my feelings enough to even be able to like articulate them at the time I guess yeah absolutely and I guess if you speak to people you're then opening yourself up to other people's responses and it's interesting what you say about the counseling and feeling angry and that's maybe why you didn't engage I certainly can recognize that even now, I mean, my mum died almost three years ago and I grew up, she had mental illness since before I was born. And even now I get very defensive when anyone talks about her to me or if we engage in conversation, particularly family, actually. I, yeah. I it just really puts me on guard and get, and I cannot understand why, but I am very defensive about her, the whole thing. And so as a child, I guess, being asked to talk to a stranger just randomly when you feel really comfortable in your own family little unit, you know, I can completely see why you would <laughs> shut that situation down. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I had, I had, I saw a psychologist when I was 14 because I had really bad anxiety that it turned out was resulting from the situation um, with my mum and I think sometimes the problem is children don't know you can't know what's causing yeah. upset until until you do and the only way to find that out is to explore it with somebody yeah like because I was I was also a very very anxious t teenager like when I was a younger teen at least um which was weird because I'd been such a kind of bubbly or maybe not bubbly, loud kid. Um, and probably part of it probably was like, you know, going to secondary school and making that transition and stuff. But I do think looking back, a lot of it was because I was spending a lot of my time quite stressed. Um, and, and not at anything in particular, not because there was particularly anything happening at home, just kind of stressed. And I think just in general, when you have 
parent who's in that situation there are so many um feelings to kind of wade through like I think for me one of the hardest things was I loved my mum so much and yet I was so angry all the time um to the point where it probably like it didn't it wasn't logical it didn't make sense but I was so angry um for for years and I kind of realized it was at her despite the fact that she hadn't really done anything and it was almost harder because she kind of accepted it as well and I and so I was also kind of angry at myself for being angry at her when she didn't deserve (laughs) it and it's kind of you you kind of just have to acknowledge that yourself that you're feeling things that aren't logical and that's Mm -hmm. okay but it's and that's the only way that you can kind of work through it but it's I, I totally get it because it's, it's so hard. It is really hard. And anxiety is really common and anger um, in children with parents with mental illness. And and just it's interesting you when you said, you said earlier on that after your mum's diagnosis, there was this sort of period that you felt was akin to grief. And I do think there is, that's a real thing because you sort of, I don't know, there's almost a grief of the, the parent who you've lost because they will always have this illness and that's you know that's fine and it it can be manageable but it's there and yeah it's always the grief for the loss of the parent who didn't who who maybe didn't have that illness what would that have looked like yeah yeah which I think in terms of bipolar in particular is particularly weird like it's a bit of a mind bend because like I said, my my mum had had this illness long before I was even born. And so mm-hmm. in some ways it also wasn't logical because she had been cycling my whole life, although um, leaning more on the manic side of things than the depressive, um, to the point that actually when I was a bit younger, she'd been working a lot. So she probably hadn't been like as present and stuff like that, you know. But it's I, I think it's almost the idea of it as well. Um, and kind of the understanding that this is your forever, like this is just how things are. Um, it, it's just, yeah, I guess maybe that's the moral of all of this, like feelings aren't logical, they just yeah. are. But. Yeah, they just are what they are. And yeah, and that the that knowledge as well, when you were saying, you know, you you were an anxious teenager as well and, you know, you were just maybe generally stressed, you can't really pinpoint one thing, but having the mental illness be present it's just sort of under all under the surface all of the time that that potential for a manic episode or you know a depressive episode and and it's a sort of an, an a level of instability that is sort of ticking over I felt anyway I, I'm not sure about other disorders but I think the other weird thing about bipolar is it, like it is a mood disorder but I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it does in that like you do for example with mania you are kind of off quite often doing crazy things if it gets really extreme you can think I don't know you're I don't know my mum never did this but you can think like you're Jesus and if you jump (laughs) off a building you'll fly and stuff like that you know but like there are also just underlying and that that's very extreme but when it's less extreme than that there are also just underlying almost personality based things to do with like I don't know it can make you a strong leader it can make you very work orientated and determined it can make you very passionate you know all of these sorts of things on the flip side you know depression has various personality based things as well and I think not just for me but for my mum and my dad sort of trying to maybe unthread what my mum is and what her bipolar is and yeah. where her what her what who she is despite mm-hmm. it I think was something that I at least yeah spent a really long time trying to do and um it's almost like trying trying to separate your parent from the disorder and in the end um I came to the conclusion that I couldn't it wasn't possible um because they were the disorder was her and it's part of her brain and to an extent it kind of doesn't matter um but I think for a long time it did matter to me maybe because I was trying to imagine this hypothetical parent that didn't have mental illness and I I think something that actually really helped me come to terms with it a lot was 
that my mum would probably be a completely different person if she didn't have a bipolar it didn't have her bipolar because some of my favorite things about her were how passionate determined headstrong she was how when she wants to do something she will just bulldoze through and make it happen in terms of like her campaigning and things like that and I think we always talk about mental illness like it's very very separate from the person who's brain it lives in Mm. and I think for me coming to the realization that that's not necessarily true um felt like a healing moment I don't know gosh do you know something that is oh my gosh I've never that's an incredibly mature response and thought process that I have never got to or even thought about that's amazing because I I guess it is difficult to to separate the two. And I guess I always was making excuses. So if I, I think whenever my mum's behaviour wasn't great, it was, you know, it was, <laughs> it, well, it would be because of the mental illness. Yeah, yeah, totally. And separating out the bits of her and the bits of the mental illness, like rather than try and do that, why did I not just think, okay, well, gosh I can imagine that would be a very healing place to get to you might need to write some advice and some pointers on how to do that (laughs) oh god it was really hard though because I did the same thing for years where it was like I don't know if something happened I'd be like oh that's not her she's a bit manic at the moment she's a bit whatever and I realized that I was kind of driving myself mad um yeah. in that I I I was I again I think it's probably slightly different for this disorder compared to others but it was I don't know if she was almost like did something that was bad I would tell myself that's not her but then I'd go but what is her yeah. and where do you draw that line yeah. and I think trying to constantly seek out someone who didn't exist underneath yeah. that or maybe the idea of someone I realized was yeah. making me sadder possibly and mm-hmm. and so I think for me I've tried to embrace all the parts of her because yeah. even if someone is completely mentally well there's still going to be bits of them that you love and bits of them you hate yeah. and it doesn't <laughs> this matter is but it's, I don't know this is true I'm, I'm probably oh. not completely there but like I'm trying oh so. it's amazing it's I'm so envious like I was always trying to I guess search for somebody who wasn't there or or change her and I wish I actually spoke to somebody recently that uh, on a broadly similar vein to this, um, where I just I wish I had just been more accepting and embraced who she was more than I did, because I think it would have been much better for everybody. So yeah. I think that's incredible that that you are able to do that and that I know you said you're still working on it but I think that's a very special thing thank you I think the other thing is like this process happened while she was on medication as well and I think it is completely different when someone is so unwell that you can't recognize them anymore and I I think that that is something very very different and I I do want to emphasize that this is me going through this with my mum who is on medication and is still very mentally ill but is not going through these massive terrible episodes that made her unrecognizable as a person because I do think that that is a completely different scenario yeah yeah, just hearing you talk about it and thinking how many other young people and children are in that situation and if they could hear that approach that way of thinking about it and have space to explore that and think about it and talk about it it could, I think, make a huge difference to their lives. If I could have got to that point that you're at much, you know, like at all (laughs) when my mum was alive, that would have been absolutely incredible. Can I ask you, why did you write Bird Girl? Yeah. um, I've always loved writing and 
I always wanted to write a book about birds actually um and I had this idea of sort of wanting to write about all of these fantastic birds that I'd been lucky enough to see all over the world Mm -hmm. and I sort of started to think about it started to plan it out and I came to the what at the time seemed like an unfortunate realization that this was a story that made no sense without getting much much more personal than I had originally anticipated in fact my approach going into the book was how can I do this story without having to talk about any of this um because I think this is bizarre but I think when I wrote the book I possibly still hadn't told a lot of my friends for example about my Mm. mum and stuff like that like it was (laughs) but I I had the realization that I really wanted to talk about the story in terms of my family and my mum's mental illness and I went to her and I was like, would you even be okay with this? Mm-hmm. And weirdly at the time, she was much more enthusiastic than I was. She was like, I, um, I think she basically just said like, yes, and I want you to tell the story really honestly, because I do think that this kind of representation, telling these kind of stories is really, really important in terms of breaking down that stigma. Mm-hmm. And so I was really yeah. hesitant and she was kind of all <laughs> for it. Um but I think, oh, I, I like I once saw something that was like, if you feel like writing a book is like therapy, then just go to therapy or something like that. But um, <laughs> it it genuinely was incredibly therapeutic, incredibly mm-hmm. cathartic to write it because I was thinking about a lot of stuff, especially um, that period in time when my mum was sectioned that I hadn't thought about since since it happened basically and my family actually ended up talking about a lot of things that we kind of hadn't talked about since it happened um and so yeah I I think the book is definitely very honest there are definitely moments where all of us probably look a bit terrible at some points because that kind of how family is um but it sounds silly now because it was only as I was outlining it that I kind of had this realization about how much we had really been using birds and nature to look after ourselves, which I think sounds strange because we'd been doing it for like 10 years at this point. Um, but I just never, I, I knew I knew it subconsciously, but I'd never quite put the pieces together. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think it's, it's a very honest depiction of having a parent with mental illness kind of warts and all um because I think telling those stories is really important and there aren't enough of them out there and I kind of wish that I had been able to read something like that when I was younger which which, sorry is a terrible and corny thing to say but like I, I just like I don't know, maybe just hoping like someone else will read it and it will help them. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And there there aren't enough of these things out there. And there is now traction, there is traction around this issue and bringing these situations and these families out of the shadows and the children that live in these families. And and it's such an important contribution. So, you know, you should be raving about it. I think it's absolutely incredible. <laughs> and hopefully it'll Thank inspire you. other people to do the same. And I just love this idea of birds. Do you know, because you're still you're still um, very much into the birds, as I understand it, and you still are... Very much so, yeah. And setting some records or have set some world records. Um, what what does that look like for you now? Where, where does the birds and the environment fit in your life now how is it influencing it yeah I mean you're right and I'm still very much a bird watcher and I think you know in the in the book and in life I spend a lot of time talking about these sort of grand trips we go on looking for birds around the world but for me a lot of the time bird watching is the fact that I'm on this call with you right now and I'm also watching the blue tits fly around in the hedge behind my laptop you know like I'm always just watching nature and it always makes me feel very grounded and um, I'm at uni at the moment so you know I'm not living in some kind of luscious countryside place quite often it's going in in the walk at the park and like (laughs) watching the magpies in the trees whatever yeah um but I think 
and and my parents and I do occasionally still go on these trips even yeah. though I am now an adult because that is kind of the time that we spend together and yeah. one of the weirdest things about moving away from home was not bird watching with my parents anymore because that was the thing that we did together um but I think like I've always been very connected to nature and the environment um I do, I do a lot of environmental campaigning and yeah. climate change campaigning um just because I really love nature yeah. and the planet and I want to try and help it or save it. Um, but yeah, no, I think that connection to nature is still very, very strong, mm -hmm. even though maybe it probably looks different than it did when I was a kid. But do you, I don't know, I guess that's part of growing up. Do, <laughs> yeah. Do you think, talking? we talked about separating the, the, the mental illness from the person and how you can't do that. Do you think you can separate your love of birds and the environment from your experience with mental health as a child in your family? On the surface, yes, but I think deep down probably not actually in that I've talked about it before, but for me kind of bird watching is this, is kind of like my version of mindfulness because I've always mm -hmm. been really rubbish at that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so like I, for me, even going on a walk is kind of how I ground and center myself and mm -hmm. try and give myself a minute to not think about all the stuff that I'm stressed about, whatever. Um, and so I think, and I think a lot of that is from the fact that I learned at a very young age that when you're dealing with stuff, you go outside and you go and look at some birds. Like that's almost like the toolkit that my mm -hmm. family gave me <laughs> to deal with stuff life whatever yeah. um and and so I think even if I'm not going out with the purpose of healing myself <laughs> um looking after myself I think it still does something incredibly good for me um and I think just quickly because I, ha I have a charity that I run that's specifically to do with engaging ethnic minority kids with nature and the outdoors and I started oh. that when I was 13 just because as someone who wasn't white I kind of was very aware that green spaces were very very white and I this wasn't kind of a conscious thought at the time but I absolutely think looking back especially at that particular period in my life that one of the reasons I felt so strongly about this and really wanted to get other kids outside mm -hmm. was because I had learned from my own life experiences how essential it is to have a connection to nature and the outdoors and I wanted yeah. other children other teenagers to also have that opportunity and that connection and I think that's totally something that I'd learned from my own yeah. life experiences that's amazing is the charity still going what's it called yeah yeah absolutely it's called black to nature I, I actually was at an event yesterday with some kids um and it was really lovely we've worked with hundreds of children now it's like a project that's very very close to my heart that is amazing. I really could talk to you all day. Before you go, do you, first of all, I've got one question that's pretty straightforward and one that might sound a bit mm. weird. So the first one is, do you have a favourite bird? You probably get asked this all the time. I do. And my answer changes quite often, but I really like big scary birds um <laughs> like if you read bird girl you'll realize that i really have yeah. a thing for birds that could kill you yeah um and i think my favorite bird in the world is at the moment the harpy eagle so it's the biggest eagle in the world it lives in the amazon jungle oh. i spent about nine years trying to find one oh and God. they have these basically they hunt by grabbing monkeys off the top of trees um so they have these ginormous talons and they're mm. super cool and yeah. they're gorgeous and i have I love two little them. boys who would be interested in that so i will yes, be looking fantastic. that up today um, <laughs> and my next my last one is just is there a particular bird if you had to pick one that you would connect with mental health or mental illness is there one, if you had to pick one that would sort of resonate with you in terms of your experience? That's a good question. Interesting question. Give me a sec. <laughs> okay. um, could depend what metaphor you want to go for, I suppose. Like I really, I've always loved um, albatrosses, which are these sort of fantastic massive seabirds mm -hmm. that quite often spend 
long times out at sea kind of flying over the waves by themselves but they always come back to the same place the same island to find their family and breed um every year yeah and i think there's something about that like a bird that the wandering albatross literally travels all over the world for miles and miles and miles every year but they always come home yeah and i think that there's something really lovely about that i love that i love that my dad sadly died when i was 11 and he had fleetwood mac albatross playing and uh, no. at his funeral and it's just interesting you don't you know nobody talks about albatrosses really so it's and they're, and they're fantastic they're amazing they are amazing so that's a lovely that's a lovely choice i will now i will think of you when i when i hear the word albatross which is a nice <laughs> connection so thank you for that and thank you no, so thank you much. so much no thank you oh my goodness i cannot tell you how much i appreciate it it's just been a joy to talk to you and cannot wait to hear more about you and see how you go it's it's very exciting and yeah we'll be keeping a close eye and hope to maybe speak to you again at some point yeah thank you Pam it's been lovely this has been my family mental illness and me thank you so much for listening don't forget we would love you to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you automatically get new episodes Please share these stories with anyone you think might need to hear them. You can help bring talking about mental illness out of the shadows. If you're experiencing any of the issues discussed in this podcast, please know that you can get in touch with the charity Our Time. Our Time provides support to thousands of children and young people who have parents or guardians dealing with mental illness. It's ourtime.org. UK, or at Our Time Charity on social media. If you feel like you're struggling with mental health or you've been affected by anything in this episode, it's really important that you speak to someone. There are links to help in the show notes, but you can also contact your GP, call the Samaritans on 116 123 or contact Childline on 0800 1111. My Family, Mental Illness and Me is made for our time by Bespoken Media. The production team are Patrick Wallace and Dave Howard. Original music composed by Joel Cox. Produced by Bespoken Media.